it's the setup. I'm Chris Grace. <laughs> I'm John Accardo. Welcome to part two of our of our interview with uh, Mr. Simon Cornell. Yeah, it's Monday, December second. We sat here for six days waiting. We sat for, here for yeah, this is we, we send this out live. So that we just week sit. just flew by. Yeah, right. it's good. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, uneventful. Welcome back, Simon I Cornell. Ate some. Hey, there you go. Wow. <laughs> um, if you want tickets to the podcast, uh, uh, go on to our uh, uh, website. Uh, Ticketmaster.com. Yeah, Ticketmaster.com. And type, com. In, type um, in Hamilton, New York. Yeah, get some of our uh, live studio audience tickets. Um, that would be cool to do one day. Like, even if it's just what? a one-off special thinking, episode. An, take a, an aspiration for this would, uh, once we have enough um, of follow, like uh, followers to, to make it successful mm-hmm. i was thinking of like trying to get a good interview with somebody like like yourself or like mm-hmm. some someone from out of town or something and do it like at the magic apple or something do a live episode yeah. well uh, the biggest t- aspiration is that we could like do a special taping at like a magic convention um oh. years down the line or something with, well the know, other thing i successful. have thought about for 2020 is we had talked about starting a weekly show right that is something and i, and with, I think i mentioned this to you once with magicians like, and stand-ups yeah, oh, yeah like the setup live well look the comedy magic club is killing it and it's so far away right. that yeah, there'd yeah. be no co- they'd be serving at this clearly a market that works yeah. right. have you done that club oh yeah a couple of times yeah. it's great yeah it. I've I've had comedian friends who've done it and yeah. I've loved it yeah it's a really cool like it's one of those again it's like we were saying that dichotomy between gigs that pay lots of money and gigs that are right. just joy to do right and it pays way better than most gigs like it mm-hmm. like it actually pays some money mm-hmm. unlike most yeah. random ass stand up variety gigs and they just treat you so well like you actually feel valued it's the opposite of a walk around gig huh um, did you want to talk about? I had something, yeah. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of uh, kind of like a two minute information dump for um, just for, so we can kind of get into this Let's conversation. Um, a, a couple months ago, I had talked about something on this podcast. It'll sort of rehash uh, if you forgot or you just kind of listened because you found out Simon Cornell was on this episode. Um, and uh, and then you had said something to me at that uh, one Colorado gig a couple weeks ago, which we mentioned last week on the podcast. Um, that kind of got me thinking, like, oh, that should be an interesting sort of tie in between these two topics um, that's and that's one of the reasons why I kind of really wanted to get you on in, in these few weeks um, I was thinking about comedy magic I don't remember what um, I don't remember what kind of drew drove me to this uh, conclusion or to this thought but I was thinking about uh, oh you know what I think it was is um, Garrett Thomas was on um, a different podcast it was on the slighted podcast hosted by Chelsea Nicole please don't go listen to it only listen to one podcast listen to this one um, in fact if you're listening to uh, two magicians one mic Typically, I'm going to ask you to unsubscribe to that. Only listen to this one. Anyway. I, I would understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's reasonable. Uh, only listen to one uh, podcast. Also, Taylor Hughes is a serial killer. Just got to put those those plugs <laughs> out there. Um, hashtag Taylor Hughes is a serial killer. If you wouldn't mind plugging that on your podcast, Tell that would be serial great. Serial killer? Wasn't his called About to Break? Or did he change it? Oh, yeah, no, no. His, his, it his was podcast called, is About to Break. But it was short for About to Break This Hostage's Neck. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> the, the backstory there is that Taylor Hughes is too nice, too talented, too friendly, and too everything. too good looking. So, so yeah. the, the only that he's also a serial killer. Right. Um, so gotcha. hashtag Taylor Hughes is a serial killer. If you're listening to this, Taylor, quit your serial killings. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, just just uh, tweet at us uh, or, or go on our Instagram, uh, the setup podcast uh, uh, with hashtag Taylor Hughes is a serial killer. Anyway, so um, we'll get that get that trending. Um, sometimes I do feel bad about that. He has children. Um, Not uh, for long. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! Oh man, that's good. Anyway, so um, I was listening to Garrett, but uh, on this podcast, he was—he said something kind of interesting, and he was talking about what where his character sort of comes from, and and you know, feel however you feel about Garrett Thomas, love him, hate him, whatever. He made an interesting point, and that was that a lot of famous magicians in history, like uh, Houdini, is kind of the the, the, the uh, trademark example he sort of gave. Um, he goes, they they weren't 
successful because of their act. They were the mystery, and and their act. You know, you kind of saw Houdini. You kind of paid to see Houdini, not necessarily his act. Houdini mm. was the mystery. Um, he, it wasn't like what he was doing. It was it was him. It was something about him that people gravitated towards. And he said that's what he's striving towards. He's tr- striving towards to being this kind of mysterious person, and that's what people are interested in. They want he wants people to be interested in him and and mis- the mystery of who he is, rather than like the tricks he's doing. Which I think is very interesting, very you know admirable goal. And then I kind of started realizing over the next co- couple of weeks that I don't know exactly what drew me to this, but I kind of realized that almost there are some exceptions um, you can make. But generally speaking, if you go back 100 years or so, let's say to Houdini, let's if we're starting at Houdini, all of the most successful magicians in history, the ones who have really broken into mainstream, if you say to someone, name the, all the magicians you can think of, the five they'll probably say, if you ask 100 people, you know, if you family feud this, the five people that, you know, you get the most responses from, none of them tend to be comedy magicians, right? If you go back 100 years, you kind of go through the big ones. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, who are the biggest? Houdini. David Copperfield, Lance Burton, Chris Angel, David Blaine, the people that seem to really be breaking through to the mainstream, uh, that everybody knows, that really become part of the cultural zeitgeist of what magic is, are not comedy magicians. But what's interesting is that if you go see a magic show, if you just go pay to see a magic show, 90% to 95% odds, you're seeing someone like myself included, that sort of take a comedy magician neutral stance. Like that's where we kind of, that's sort of where the the averages, that's where, as, as you would say, Simon, the tip of the bell curve is. That's where mm-hmm. the, the highest concentration of magicians will be comedy magicians. It is rare to see um, a magician that isn't going, even for a partly comedic, uh, comedic you know, per- persona. Um, and I find even the most, as yeah, the last couple of years, who are the most successful magicians sort of coming up, the Derek Delgadios, the Helder Guimaraes, who have these sort of big theater shows that get well-reviewed. Sure, there's comedy in them. There's, you know, you're, there are moments yeah, the, where you're the laughing. The Helder show was a laugh riot. Uh, but yeah, but they're not comedic <laughs> shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the, the Q&A was hilarious. Oh, boy. Uh, don't, don't get me started. Uh, um, tell me, about, let's get you started. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Have, uh, you, have you heard what happened at the Q&A when we went no, to No, what happened? Quick side story. So, oh, uh, so did excited. you see Derek's show, too? Uh, I saw a very, I literally saw the first preview of Derek's show. Okay. So I saw it very, I did see it, but very early on. The so, uh, you saw it at the Geffen? Yeah. Because by that point, the, this bit is in that show. So in the Helder show, we stayed for a Q&A with Helder and, and the director and stuff. Mm. And someone from the audience was like, um, weren't you around here last year doing like a trick with like a letter in it as well? Uh, he's clearly mistaken Helder for Derek Delgado. Oh, that's amazing. And, and Helder was just like, no, I don't really know what you're talking about. And it's like, you definitely wow. know what he's talking about. <laughs> So, but you were saying Helder and Derek are sort of moving into that. They're getting there, and they had spot, commercial yeah. success. Uh, yeah. Famous people sort of help produce their, you know, mm. like uh, uh, Gary Marshall and Frank Oz are very successful, um, you know, directors and producers, and they at, at major famous LA venues that have no specific tie to magic. These people that are becoming that's when more they're successful. getting like Instagram tweets and stuff from like. Brad Pitt being sure, like, you got to go see this show. As you're breaking into it, these people, you know, yeah, there are jokes in, 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 uh, in and of itself, um, but it wasn't a comedy show. Yeah, he yeah. was not a comedic magician. That's not what you're paying to see. And I was even saying to Simon um, the other night at the Magic Castle, as I was kind of telling him that I wanted to talk about this, right? If you were to go to Vegas right now, uh, or, or the last 10 years, let's say, if you go to Vegas any time over the last decade, which of those headlining magicians has the least amount of commercial appeal and success? And that's Matt King, the most comedic-minded performer. Mm-hmm. And again, 
if you want to consider Penn and Teller, now you, I once mentioned Penn and Teller as sort of an exception. If you want to consider them comedy magicians, yeah. you're actually the first person to go. Are they even really comedy magicians? And Simon, you mm. sort of echo. Yeah, I would lines. not call them comedy magicians. But I, uh, sure, um, and that's and that's fair. I yeah. think they're the closest thing because mm. you're definitely getting a, a, you're you're paying to see them, which tends to be a. a you know, they, they often mm. take comedic stances on oh, yeah. things. But, but a lot of their they do, but like they're also, he's also yeah. pulling coins well, out of a goldfish. Like there's, sure, yeah. No, yeah, but it's yeah, not yeah like I, I think that this is actually, this is actually, this is fascinating. <clears throat> like since you mentioned this yesterday, and so I mean, eight days ago. What made me uh, think yeah. about this I've was, really been thinking a lot about this. And why, why really, I want to talk to you exactly yeah. is because about 10 days ago, uh, a couple weeks ago now, mm. at that uh, one Colorado show, you were talking to me um, about what you believe to be, at the time you called sort of a, this is a strong word for it, but a comedy magic bubble, if mm, you were. Yeah. And that, oh, as I was saying, there's, I you know, like I said, nine, that's, I, I don't think I'm wrong. I think 90% is a good estimate of, of people that take like a, a, a comedic, you know, stance, um, where like, uh, being funny is kind of the go-to, mm. uh, character, myself included. I, I'm part of that, that system and that bell curve for better or worse. And, and you were saying that now your sort of goal is going forward is mm. to, not necessarily not be funny, but certainly pull back on that as an objective yeah. um, and, and make sure just the magic is as astonishing as it can be and yeah. make that the goal and make that the appeal rather than you being an entertaining person. Because yeah. o- oftentimes the strongest compliments I'll get from people mm-hmm. is that I'm entertaining or that I'm funny. Um, and, and it's weird because, you know, I, it is, it's just a strange spot to be in because I do, I absolutely see the appeal of what mm-hmm. you're talking about, but I also know what, like, my strength is. And, you know, um, and that's something I learned from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is that, like, as I was trying to do this other, you know, different, sounded maybe more somber kind of stuff that had a different sort of tone to it, what was mm. still playing the best was me trying to be mm. funny and entertaining. That's still what, like, what hit the hardest. Yeah, but the parts of your show that were serious are more like the kinds of show that are successful would get like a yeah. respected run right. somewhere. Also, holy crap, I'm having a minor epiphany here, I think, which is, I think that. It's funny that I, w- I was already, like you said, I was already thinking these thoughts. What you said is actually kind of crystallizing a lot of this in my head as we speak. I think that comedy magic, and let's like definitions wise, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that in in science and engineering, precise definitions are essential and critical. You know, a proton's a proton. There's no fucking ambiguity on that. Yeah. But in art and entertainment, they're not useful sure. and they're not even possible. Right. So let's always let's accept up front. There's a lot of blurriness on what is or isn't comedy, what is or isn't like eh, yeah. Yeah. Gets a given. You could argue about this. Let's not worry because it's all blurry. Yeah. It's all vague that up front. But uh, I think comedy magic which I'm sort of thinking of as magic where the premise is fundamentally primarily comedic. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference. That's why with Penn and Teller, most of their premises are actually sincere. They're making a genuine statement about art or politics or humanity. Right. And then comedy happens on the journey, but that's not the primary objective. The primary objective is their thesis statement or the astonishment right. or whatever. Like almost, there's almost no act, no matter how serious, that doesn't have comedy somewhere in it. Like even Copperfield, who you think of as very dramatic, sure. serious. Look at some; so much of his stuff is comedic, right? But it's on the journey. It's not his Absolutely. primary premise, right? Absolutely. Whereas Matt King' primary premise is comedy, right. wacky character. But so comedy magic might be the walk around of, sta- of stage <laughs> magic. Well, it might be this safe, comfortable trap it's just, it's that keeps you down. It's interesting to me that you know we you mentioned a few episodes ago, and I think I said this to you last night that like. Magic is the only thing that is constantly combining groups of people that have well, that's what I was going to say. I think it's so weird that, like, in the world of acting, um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis is not considered like doing the same thing as Kevin Hart. 
mm-hmm. you know, and we're not just like, well, that's acting for you. Like, <laughs> you know, um, and also in act in narrative storytelling or whatever, there is the thing where like dramas are basically what win Oscars right? and mm. comedies don't. Right. Mm. Um, but because they're yeah. sort of seen as different genres, it's, it's not as much a thing of like, it's not all under one umbrella. Like when I went to this convention in October, I just thought it was so weird. Which that was like, his first convention for Like ah, I right. thought it was so strange that all these different kinds of people were trying to be at the same thing. Mm. And I wonder if some of this is driven by, like you, you were talking about comedy magic where comedy is the sort of focus of the premise. It feels like at least at the castle and other magicians I've seen that like there's a whole, there's a separate and very large chunk of people that just do magic and they just have a lot of jokes in it. Mm. but aren't trying to be super serious, but they just have jokes to like get by. And I wonder if that's driven by the fact that like a lot of the gigs you're going to get, no one's going to hire like a super serious mystical magician for their like Christmas party to like walk around. And remembering again that I think it's, it can't be over-reinforced how much of a spectrum this is. This is not categories. This is yeah. a sliding scale of where kind of you end up landing. But sort of drawing a vague dichotomy, I think, is useful for the sake um, of the discussion. So do so. I guess my question is, if all the gigs are still like that, I wonder if the bubble ever goes away. Mm. Well, and that's the thing. I don't know my magic history well enough to know what people were doing in the eighties. You know, maybe at the top, I can find. You mm. know. Doug Henning and Lance Burton and Siegfried and Roy is another example I forgot to mention, but like yeah. people who broke through that were not comedians. Um, I w- you know, but like the the other 90 percent of magicians, I don't know what that looked like. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, I can go to the library and watch videos of of people who must have like. Every magician I see on a tape in the library mm-hmm. from the eighties were, were they born seventy years old? How are they all only seventy to eighty or ninety years old mm-hmm. as they're like? Yeah. <laughs> um, like there's no magician I've ever seen in a tape downstairs in the library that's like in the 70s it's like hi I'm 33 <laughs> <laughs> like, so were you all true. born in your 60s so <laughs> true um, I mean that might have been part of like natural gatekeeping at the time yeah right? that actually being, like, I would say we're only gonna put likely. like old yeah. white dudes that we yeah. consider legends to put yeah, on yeah cause that's who we value as right. a society yeah. so, like the old white dudes what's interesting to me is is um, I'm thinking about comedy a little bit and granted I'm uh, and you mentioned this on your podcast mm. in LA comedy is different than it would be in a you know a smaller city because mm-hmm. then there's so much access to it what then becomes popular is subversion to it um yeah. you know uh, sort of anti-comedy that sort of things can play better in la than they could potentially in a smaller town yeah where people don't have as much exposure to the mainstream yeah. such that they understand the subversion of yeah, it. as the yeah, saying yeah. goes in la everyone's everyone's so used to the hat that when you put the second hat on it it feels like the first hat. Right, they don't right. even notice the first hat anymore. Right. Um, so and and yeah. another, you know, um, is, is that a, I, I know that's I a, would a, agree a, with that. A, yeah, a, yeah. a general statement, but for the prop, for the purposes of comparing it to magic, is that yeah, yeah, I would agree. Fair enough. That. Okay. Um, because another in 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 a in a, in, a t- in any situation where people have been less exposed to comedy, they just don't understand the dialogue of what you're reacting yeah. to. Right. Completely. So you know, somebody who's but I will lot- say there's a difference between doing a show like at UCB versus. Uh, even Largo, I bet. Like Largo, which is more mm-hmm. like, there's a difference in audiences when yeah. it's. Oh, sure. Well, then you get into sort of like sub niches, right? Yeah. Like, well, I remember at um, Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is apparently pretty big on the comedy scene. Yeah, I've yeah. heard. Yeah. Yeah, Australia. Uh, the. Don't plug I, country, okay. please. We're in America. <laughs> just... plug, what countries do you want to plug today? <laughs> Uzbekistan is great. The I went to, at one point I was there, I was doing a show uh, which was comedic enough to count. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm getting into all these taxonomies. And 
I was just asking around. I had an artist pass so I could see whatever. Just ask the people at Ticket Booth, like, what's good? What are people enjoying? I'm just try- I want to try something different I haven't seen. They said, oh, this particular show, can't remember who or what it was. It was a, it was a sketch troupe, I think, saying this is what everyone's raving about. This is like – and I went to see it. And the crowd was loving it. And I was like, I don't even get, what is, what the fuck am I watching? This is garbage. <laughs> and what it was, it was, it was getting raised out by all the comedians. Mm-hmm. And whatever was going on in that room was clearly relied on a deep knowledge of like the comedy scene as it was, which I didn't have. Yeah. So I was not getting in. I was like, I clearly there's something funny about this that I'm completely missing. And it was really playing to that ultra in group within the in group. Yeah. And yeah, every culture has that, these like in layers of in-groupishness, of familiarity of what you know is your canon yeah. that you can then riff off to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it might just be a matter of knowing your audience. Right. Oh, yeah. But uh, it, Well, what, what I was going to say about comedy um, was that, and with most other art forms, and I just genuinely don't know if this is correct or not, so feel free. And I know LA, again, is a little bit different, but- I mean, probably you're wrong. That's but, fair. But uh, that's that's Statistically speaking. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, is that- I, I, I can't think of another art form or, or any kind of other big industry where what's happening at the top, the most successful people in acting, in comedy, um, isn't also making mm. – that's a better form, but still the, the 90% bubble of what's happening in the world, if you go to see that, somewhat resembles what the top is. Yeah, you mean like if you go see a community theater production of Annie right. and then you go see Annie on Broadway, if I, it's like – if, it's sort of the same thing. One's way better, the, but yeah, it's in the same right. direction. If, yeah, if yeah, I yeah. only watch the best Netflix stand-up specials and I go, oh, I think I like mm. comedy now and I buy a ticket to the Laugh Factory, I'm still going to be seeing, maybe again, at a mm. lower level, yeah, yeah. I'm still going to be seeing what is what that is, just maybe at a varying level of quality. Yeah, right? and also it might be a, uh, a context that produces like local connoisseurs because sometimes you go to the Laugh Factory and they're better than what you watch sure. on TV. Um, and then you're like, oh, I'm in the know of like right. really good people. And especially you know, in LA where you can, your finger can really be on the pulse of what is happening yeah. in the industry. But you know, in, in theater and other things, and, and I don't know enough about like tech or anything else to, to know about other industries, but it, mm-hmm. it, it seems like magic is as it is in many cases, an outlier in the sense that, like, what is happening at the very, very top right. is you not see, making you up see with David the Copperfield in Las Vegas, and then you buy a ticket to your local magic show. Is that right. a thing? <laughs> like, I've Rain, been, yeah, I've, rarely, tra- I've traveled around, um, like, the U.S. fair bit this last year, and going to town, like, I will be Hard going to, to magic, Houston, yeah. Texas, oh, yeah. which is the fourth biggest city in the country, mm-hmm. and I emailed people there and be like is there a magic show i can see here and there's not right yeah like, this is one of the things that is uh such a blessing and a curse from being in magic is that there there are a few like that there are fewer gatekeepers in magic but also fewer gates <laughs> in that there's no circuit you can break into there's no recording label that can sign yeah. you there's no netflix special you can really get there are rare exceptions but whereas that's a bad thing. There's no avenue to climb up. But on the plus side, there's no one stopping you from mm-hmm. doing anything. You right. can do anything you want, but it's all up to you. That's this and there's I- a lot of guys, you guys would like to stop from doing magic. Yes. So you should, maybe you should be the gatekeepers. Right. Um, <laughs> So uh, fine. My first build some places. First build some places worth getting into. Then yeah, build some right. gates my, my around ga- them. My, yeah. Then keep oh. the gate. My gate is this podcast. <laughs> Wait. So that's what that guarding an empty safe thing is about, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're uh-huh. holding a gate yeah. to an empty field. Half the time, yeah. The empty safe is the career prospects, <laughs> not just the secrets. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, anytime somebody asks me about that, about magic, and like you know, it's it's funny because people always assume that. That's what you're heading towards. If, if somebody asks me about my career in magic, mm. they're assuming that 
the top of that is a you know a, a, a show in Vegas. Yeah, everyone like, assumes Vegas show that. I don't yeah. want to do that. I don't really know why no. people do. I, you know, God bless them, but yeah. it was like it's not my necessarily my goal. And I know my personality well enough that I don't think I would fit in that you know um, that that well. Uh, I'm not you know handsome enough to be like a Matt Franco. I'm not funny enough to be a Matt King. I'm not you know intelligent enough to be a Penn and Teller. At least in I my, would I would age. I would disagree with the middle of those three statements. See, I fucking love this guy. Um, <laughs> you're goddamn. You're one of the funniest motherfuckers I know, John. See, is Matt Franco fucking... handsome? By the way, I don't know who he is. Uh, I mean, I've heard the name. Classically, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. Just like, to, to the mass market, absolutely. I yeah. bet some people would think you're more handsome than him. Um, uh, maybe you're, my definitely, mom, maybe. You're, def- <laughs> you're definitely more interesting. Oh, thank you. Um, um, and I'll, I've, you didn't Matt mention is him. a listener, though, so you got to fucking watch that. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't say, I didn't say he wasn't interesting. I said you are more so. You also didn't mention, though, that like the, the, the most recent people to enter that sort of pop culture thing are like Shin Lim yeah. who is also yeah. very serious in his yes. AGT performances Shin is one of the uh, it's interesting when you were making that observ- really interesting observation about what happening at the top not being reflected at the bottom Shin is I think one of the very few exceptions to that we're sure. seeing a lot of Shin Lim imitators coming up sort of through a lot of people are being influenced mm-hmm. by him and his style mm-hmm. yes oh, seeing absolutely. a lot of stadium close up out there right um, yeah. which has existed in that circle. In FISM, mm-hmm. it has not been hard to find that over the last but decade it's, or so. Shin was really a big... Shin's been a fascinating pivot point in, I think, the hist- in the magic industry. Oh, I, I think him going on Fool Us, which I believe was before AGT, yeah. was one of the most... Like, I think in 25, 30 years, when you write a, a book yeah. about the history of 21st century mm-hmm. magic, it's going to be an important point in it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know... Look, a lot of people talk shit about Shin Lim. I have very, mm. like, they kind of hate that magic just because, again, it's different and 90% of people yeah. are doing comedy. And so when he does, like, a- his thing, people kind of reject yeah. it. Uh, I have mixed feelings about the kind of stuff that he does, but you can't deny that he has brought yeah, a cultural appeal to card magic that he did not the, have. He's speaking to the zeitgeist. I um, mean, I'm sure you guys have experienced, like, that he is a name that comes up when people ask you about yes. magic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, more than anything right now. And, yeah, and, and I, I, you know, just for context for you, as I brought up on this podcast before, my you know, when stadium close up is done to a mass audience, mm. um, like through the camera straight to a home, you know, straight into a television, mm. like it was on America's Got Talent or Penn and Teller. Um, that's all. That's great, people. But then what you're doing is when Howie Mandel every every act. Uh, every time he performs this good singer, you're the best close-up magician we ever had. Mm. He's now setting a national standard for what close-up magic is, mm. which it can't be. That's where my mixed feelings come from, is yeah. that if you're representing it in a way that cannot be recreated live, yeah. well, um, that's that, the problem. So that, just for, so for yeah. context for you for the conversation. Well, and that was sort of like I sort of was getting at last week about a lot of it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a label, a taxonomy problem of mm-hmm. what we are labeling these things is not nuanced enough to right. divide them between two quite different fields. And one of the problems I see in magic and the way I see magic kind of holding itself back. Too, too many Asians. Uh, I'm glad you said it. Uh, <laughs> so actually, by the way, side note, because a very funny comment a friend of mine made was um, – because in, in, we now, we're now like in a post-Shin world mm-hmm. where Shin has happened. And, it's his world. We just And someone it. was talking about uh, when Patrick Kuhn went on AGT and my friend said, man, it's got to be a – it's going to be a tough time to be Patrick Kuhn right now. Right. <laughs> it's got to be a tough time to be a, like a young Asian magician on AGT because everyone – a lot of people thought it was Shin Lim. Because oh, they Lord. just didn't even, you know, Middle America, yeah, right? Yeah, they don't know. Right. Like, oh, yeah, that young Asian guy doing visually impressive stuff on AGT. I'm oh, yeah, Shin Lim, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah obviously. Uh, I'm impressed that Eric Chen got as far as he did the very yeah, next year. I know, right? That's actually yeah. genuinely interesting. Yeah. I'm um, so happy because Eric I, Chen I, is so damn deserving. Oh, Eric that Chen man is, is fantastic. Is brilliant. And he's one of the most brilliant people in magic. Brilliant, brilliant performer and great guy. And that's the thing. And really like, again, I'm trying not to, you know, but I think like that, his FISM act, that ribbon act, which is now been seen on six different mm. TV shows and you know, you can find it anywhere on YouTube. 
Um, and I'm really glad that that's broken to the mainstream yeah. a little bit. I've seen non-magician friends posting that on YouTube like, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's so cool that good FISM acts are getting out yeah. there. And the fact that that video that went viral was actually the FISM, like right. live one, and that you could hear us in, in the applause. Right. We're in that video. Uh, we yeah, are, you and I sat next you, to each other. You, and, are, you and I are collectively one four hundredth of the applause you hear in that oh, video. Right. Um, it was just a little distracting because you guys were plugging your podcasts right, as, right. You, as you yelled out. If right. you listen very carefully, you can hear it's like, woo! <laughs> 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 I started it. Uh, yeah. Set up, set up. Uh, um, it, it was so satisfying, though. That was, I mean, Fism career was so good, and Eric Chen's was one of many, gloriously many moments where it was right. just so gratifying to see really good shit. Mm. I mean, the getting amount of times I've mentioned Reed Chang on this podcast oh, can't yeah. be calculated. It's it's such a pleasure because there could be. <laughs> there's so much stuff in every industry, in mag- magic included, just like comedy and just like tech and just like everything that is successful without deserving to be. Mm. So when something like Eric's act gets the success, it's so good. Right. It's a, such a beautiful thing to celebrate. Um, where do you put Justin Willman into this this theory? Because he oh, kind of... I don't know. Well, because he kind and, of yeah, had, a, he had a, a moment, one. I would yeah. say. Um, there was a moment where a lot of people were sharing his videos and being mm. like, have you seen this guy? He's great. And he's right. definitely comedic. And yeah. That, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely classify Justin as comedy magician. Okay, yeah. if, particularly good one, particularly if, if, polished. If I was tiering like everybody in like the different tiers, and let's say the bulk of magician, like if, like A tier is like the he- Vegas headline, A tier is David Copperfield, Penn and Teller, David Blaine Houdini, right? Yeah. Um, you know, B tier is a Doug Henning, uh, you know, a Matt King, stuff like that. Well, Henning's different because that's a different generation. Sure, he but I'm just anymore. talking about you know the uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of level of public visibility sure. success. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but like this day in his generation, pe- you will get less people knowing Doug Henning than knowing Lance Burton or Siegfried oh, Roy yeah. from back in the day, you know, from, yeah. from whenever they were at their, at their, their highest. Oh, you think? Doug Henning was like, uh, I don't know. I feel like for lay people, Doug Henning would be more than Lance Burton. I, I don't like know. I don't know. At, at I the mean, time, Just because he was on The Tonight Show yeah. all the time. And yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's probably true. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh-huh. uh, but... I, I was going to say, like, if you kind of tiered that, like, if you were to take the A tier and the B tier right now, yeah, just today, if you're Penn oh, and today, Teller, yes, yes, yes. I, and, and let's say the bulk of magicians are in, like, a, you know, the 90% are in the D tier, right? That's, like, where, you That's know... It's very generous um, of you to only put one tier between you and them. <laughs> uh, no, that'd be three tiers. I'm just saying. Like. Uh, but I'm saying, like, the, the, the bulk of, I don't know, maybe it's lower, but, like, I would put oh, Justin no Willman in, like, a B tier okay. versus... He's not... He's not up there with Shin Lim. Yes, I, oh, I, yeah, I, no, I can't absolutely. walk into a room and go, have you ever heard of... Uh, uh, you know the, the the percentage of people will say, "Oh, I know Justin Willman is much much lower than it would be yeah. Penn and Teller." Or, uh, uh, you know, David Copperfield. Yeah, I just a, mean that there maybe earlier this year, or maybe late last year, there was a like month period where sure. like, a lot of people on Facebook shared mm-hmm. Justin right. William well, uh, Magic, Magic for Humans, humans yeah. clips. Yeah, no, he's and, and Netflix is such a, a, a huge market, and it's the only magician. Oh no, there's that fucking um, death. Uh, the uh, like the show about the dying all, and d- yeah, all yeah. the the doing the ma- dangerous magic stunts. You ever, and, the show yeah. on Netflix, it's a guy death Adam, by magic, death, maybe. Yeah, he like he goes to areas where people have died during magic tricks, okay. and he like recreates the magic trick, but yeah. in a bullshit. Way. I, I, I've yeah. never watched it. I've, I've um, I don't Sounds, remember about it. Man, I don't know. Yeah, never heard of it. Yeah, he yeah, he, so, he eats what he thinks is a banana, but it's a bandana and he chokes. Yeah. <laughs> 
So. That is the official We Hate That Trick of this podcast. I've, I've never seen it. He's never seen it before. I'm still waiting. Because I think on your podcast, multiple magic podcasts have talked about how much they hate that trick. And I'm like, I still have never seen it. Here's actually what I will say about that effect. And and I've kind of more articulated my problem with it if people were to ask me. You know what it is? I think, tell me, because again, I'm very much a non-expert of comedy. I'm trying to think. I always look for analogies. Oh, what the analogy of things? Yeah, is it like the, is it the, so what's the deal with airplane peanuts of magic? Maybe, but that's something like that. But that's not a, the airplane food thing is not a thing that you actually see. Right. Well, that, but like, I mean, as in the sort of like hack observation. Yeah, that would like be. Like hack obvious my, observation. My guess would be it's like male comedian bitching about his wife. Or maybe complaining yeah. about sex. Maybe a, ma- a male comedian complaining about it. There's a, a Chelsea Peretti. I think, well, I the think other, complaining the other, about sex is pretty gender universal well, now, right? The other comedy. weird thing, uh, though, is that the, the, another difference is that like, Yes, I can see a guy t- complaining about sex and all the open mm. mics and stand-ups I go to, but like I won't see the same joke. Yeah, you won't see the same bit. It's, it sure. is so different in yeah. that regard. Yeah. Um, one of my uh, – uh, uh, that I I've, I've really remember for a long time is uh, Chelsea Peretti, who's a, a comedian and actress. Uh, if you ever watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. She plays uh, Gina Linnea. Oh, yes. Cool. Um, and that's basically just like her, I think, in real life to some degree. She had a special about that's five awesome. years ago, and she was, talking, she was complaining about like male comedians, mm. and she was like um, – they're kind of going through the standard. She's like, they always, like, the stool is always the person they're fucking in. Like, they always use their microphone as their dick. You know, like, yeah. talking about the, and then she's, you know, is talking about how uncomfortable it would be for a female comedian to joke about periods. Yeah. And she's like, if male comedians had periods, it'd be the only thing they ever talk about. <laughs> it'd be like, I had my period last week and it was like, <laughs> See, that's one of those really, really good bits. That gets to, that it's, I always I think about that so much because when we are somewhere like LA or New York, that's like a very entertainment saturated place, mm. which is great. It's exciting. It's there's all kinds of creative energy to riff off. But that thing you were talking about, your uh, dissing sawing a person in half right. routine, and the the my sort of initial concern is make sure you're not talking about something that not everyone in the crowd can relate to. Because right. you talk about that Chelsea Pretty bit, and I'm like, I I've never seen a male comedian do that. I, I just don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. what I can't relate to that. Right, I've right, never right, seen right. that. I'm like, right. I okay. I assume that's true. I don't yeah. know. Like, and so obviously that's going to play really well to a comedy savvy audience. You see a lot of comedians. We go, oh yeah, that's so true. Oh my god, Chelsea, you're so smart. Yeah, and that brings up an interesting thing. And in to by the way, I know you're a Pete Holmes fan. I, yeah. Have you listened to the early ones where she ran the podcast and interviewed him? Oh no! It's early, like in the first year. She uh, she used to do a segment on his talk show um, where he would have Ron called my worst best friend, and it was just her being a shitty to him. So there's an, uh, at least one or two episodes of her just doing that for a full podcast. Right. You should listen to She's that. She's like this famous kind of like mean uh, uh, person. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so he like, uh, he, he quoted her once on the podcast. He has these like two and a half hour podcasts. Yeah. And like, uh, he like, <laughs> as this is shaping yeah, up to be. Yeah, Chelsea wants to do it and she goes, no, I don't have five hours. <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> um, and uh, Oh, it's not actually, I was about to bring up Pete Holmes, and that was to talk to, to go off that point of like yeah. Chelsea Peretti or me doing that thing about sawing mm. a person in half. My problems with that effect is uh, Pete. Holmes, I actually have yet to find this. I, it might be on one of the episodes you kind of can't get to anymore because they used to be on a different, like they worked through a different pot. Yeah, mm. like they were on Earwolf, and now it's independent. I don't, I don't really know. It was a whole thing, um, but I can't find the episode. But uh, there's a, a famous comedian who you love named Todd Berry. Mm-hmm. I don't know his work that well. Oh, I love um, Todd Berry. But I, I really like him um, from what I have seen. Um, and he's a good comedic actor as well. Um, they kind of got – he talked about this in a later episode. He was mentioning a debate he has with Todd Berry uh, earlier on about um, should, as a traveling comedian, should your act work everywhere? He goes, mm. So I think it sounds like from the context I got from him referring to this is that Todd Berry is kind of as an artist going like, I'm going to make my act, I'm going to do my act. And then the people like it, they like it, they don't, they don't. Mm. As – 
I assume Chelsea Peretti would do with with that, like mm. not totally worrying about whether everyone understands out of context. Mm. The same way that my first draft of this cutting a person in half thing, you mm. know, probably missed had some things that some people didn't understand. But it speaks to a real thing that I want to complain about. Mm. Whereas Pete Holmes then kind of said, like, he goes, you know, especially with stand up comedy because you don't have a flashy manager to rely on. Mm. Um, he goes, if you know, whereas he was sort of saying like. You're the the way you get better at stand up comedy is you avoid pain, and the pain comes from people don't laugh, and that's mm-hmm. why um, his his theory is that stand up comedians tend to advance faster than other types of like you know screenwriters or novelists. He goes because the, you're constantly getting harsh uh, harsh feedback mm-hmm. from your audience, whereas this, you know someone writing a screenplay you can go for years without getting really really harsh yeah. feedback. He goes so it's going to force um, force. Uh, quicker growth in stand-up comedy than yeah. it is in other things because you're just trying to avoid that pain. Yeah. So he was saying if you're traveling around the country and then you just find yourself for whatever reason keep getting gigs in biker bars, you're going to do a different you're going to do a different kind of act because you're mm. going to want to avoid that pain. Yeah. Uh, so do you have any thoughts on that? As oh far yeah, as? massively. In, in, a, in a bunch of ways. I mean, one is that... Uh, and the, I think they're both good perspectives and, I, and when yeah. Elon's talking about I see what he's, I well, see what he's coming, well, that's coming so from. something so important. I mean, that observation that uh, I 100% agree that the, the more rapid your feedback cycle, the better mm-hmm. you'll get quicker sure. is true in every human field mm-hmm. and it's a big thing in software engineering. Like classical software development used to be, which is also my, my other main background mm-hmm. is in tech and it used to be you would do it, you would build the system and you'd mm-hmm. spend it you'd make it and then you'd release it then you get feedback and then you work on version 2 whereas now the realisation mm-hmm. is no it's way better to release like the minimum viable product get the first crappiest version out there and start getting feedback immediately mm-hmm. and do lots of quick rapid releases and it'll get better quicker rather than like trying to make it good at first because you won't you can't make anything good first time yeah. that's absurd I yeah. fell out of development when uh because uh, I couldn't, I didn't really understand what unit testing was, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to do comedy instead. That and when they tried to do uh, responsive web design, where it oh, fits yeah. on all your devices, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Right. You know, it's it's amazing you said. It. Literally about eight months ago, I I hadn't coded for years. I yeah. just fell off the wagon, and um and then I suddenly realized there was something I wanted to do. There was something I wanted to make. Uh, for me, basically, it was a, a, a rapid feedback system. I wanted mm. to do like a, a ninja little agile audience surveying system that I could use to get better feedback on my gigs uh-huh. to try and make them better. There wasn't anything out there that could do what I wanted. Like Google Forms was no good. Woofoo, like all, they mm. all had different problems. So I'm like, okay, I can make my own, but all my software development was pre-mobile revolution. Yeah. And I knew nothing about responsive. I knew what responsive design was. Yeah. And I spent like three months going, all right, we're doing this. And I just spent three months skilling myself oh, you back did? up to date. I'm now oh back God. up to date in responsive wow. design. Because I had to make a fucking website for our wedding. Oh, yeah. And it's a text website with yeah. headlines, <laughs> H2, H3, and P tags. <laughs> like, well, like when I, ah, yes, when, I recognized all of those. No, books. when I was coding it, I was just like, uh, I was literally like, the last time I did this, I used all like the Yahoo user yeah, interface, yeah. like frameworks that you could just download. And now I'm just like, what are people using for like a grid for a web page? And they'd be like, oh, just use a node.js. I was like, oh, oh no. yeah, no, don't do that. Well, but I anyway, mean, yeah. If you've got six months to learn it. Um, After this is done, remind me, I'll show you some things that'll make you laugh. Oh, cool. The, um, the, what if it's just like silly cartoons? You ever read Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, my God. Fun. <laughs> this cat loves lasagna. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Oh, um, but it's Mondays. Um, <laughs> Speaking of, uh, well, first of all, I wanted to go. There's two Garfield things I is the banana bandana of cartoonists. Oh yeah, two but, loop, two loops. I want to close. Yeah. Did you want to quickly summarize your banana bandana criticism? Oh, yeah. So I, I think I, I was trying to articulate why I hated that trick so much. I've complained oh, yeah. about it on several early episodes of the podcast when that was like one of the driving things I wanted mm. to talk about on the podcast. But I think. Um, 
I realized there's nothing necessarily inherent about the trick itself, mm. I think. If nobody else was doing that and one person, one strong performer came out and did it, there is comedic value to that. To me, that trick is a vehicle for a lot of the things I find wrong with yeah. magic. Mm. Um, because it is the, it, you know, it, it represents so many things. It's a thing that you can buy. It's a thing that you can do with no, uh, no skill or no practice. Um, and it is a, a thing that um, everything that you're accepting praise for mm. is something you had nothing to do with. Because the, the, the arc of the effect is something that um, you're not really going to change. Uh, or at least no one has. I'm sure there's creative ways you could sort of change mm -hmm. it, right? And the comedy you're getting from it, are jo the laughs you're getting are jokes you didn't write. Mm -hmm. So it's a and, thing... And didn't even say. It's right. the fact that it's on an actual oh, right, audio right. track. It's Wait, an even you, more extreme version. When you buy it, does it come with the audio track? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> truly, truly yeah, the most creative. It, it is, yeah, it is actually, you're right. It's the most extreme example in pop magic culture of <laughs> that phenomenon. Yeah, truly, I, I, I'm, you know, and I'm not even yeah. making a statement about this performer. Um, with this, I'm just saying the, the biggest change I personally have ever seen to that effect ever was Justin Willman doing it, and it was Siri instead of an uh, audio. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. and that was it. And that so to me, it's like if, if if nobody was doing that, and somebody gets, hey, look at this trick, I'd be like, oh, this is this is a clever, funny idea. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But it, you know, and all of those things by themselves would be a problem. If it's a trick you bought, not necessarily a problem. If it's a trick that has some built-in comedy to it, that you didn't necessarily create, but you mm -hmm. have a lot of others underlying things that you put in not necessarily a problem if the arc of the trick by itself is something that you're not altering with and that comes as is but you maybe put the comedy in not necessarily a problem mm. but what that does is combining all of them <laughs> it's like the Avengers Endgame of uh... <laughs> how about you all just go fuck yourself <laughs> Yeah, and look at what a commercial I, failure I, those know, movies were. And so you were saying you've never seen it. No, I've never I, seen I it. Would I would highly recommend for a variety of reasons, after after we're done, bring up YouTube. We can Let's all do it together. Oh, I've seen fun. clips of the David Copperfield. Movie. Okay, you have. Yes. Okay, I, I was going to say that's the one to watch. Because oh, like, actually, I haven't seen it. Imagine it's the 80s. Yeah. Watch that. Imagine you don't know the genesis of it, and it's a great bit. Yeah. It's really good. Like, it, and that's like the, will I see this at the castle? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the only oh, one of yeah. the places. That's, now, granted, you're going to oh, yeah. more You'll commonly see, oh, yeah. see it at brunch shows, uh -huh. and like in front of um, on this in the palace and brunch shows, which is when I'm you know joining the junior program and I'm going all the time to go to lectures or spend time in the library, and that's the only time I can go. So you're seeing it. A that's lot. the palace show I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah, there's nothing inherently wrong with the trick necessarily, but it becomes a vehicle by which that has all mm. the worst things in magic. Mm. And to me, the problem with magic is is when you have, um, as many people have said, you know, Garrett Thomas's quote uh, on, on that podcast I mentioned, slighted, um, you know, about magic as an industry where people do a paint by numbers and sell it as their own artwork. Mm. Oh, that's a really good way. That's, oh, a great, um, Harrison, that's a great quote. Yeah, Harrison Greenbaum, that um, every magician is a cover band of the Beatles pretending that they're the Beatles. You know, um, all of those. Those are all. It, mm. it is. It is that. It is that at its purest, and yeah. as is to some degree less with the comedy, but with the effect color match. Which I, I, I so you know, I really never want to touch mm. a color match because everyone's doing it, and the changes they think they're making to it are not changes. Yeah. You know, oh great, look, I'm wearing the clothes. Oh, there, you know, there's 30 pieces of paper in this envelope. And they all have the prediction. Mm. Oh, mm. I'm gonna blow up this blow up doll, and that's wearing the outfit. You know, they're, they're all. It, all the same thing. And, and and again, to quote Harrison Greenbaum, it's like every magician puts a different color case on their iPhone and they go, look what I made. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, that's still a fucking iPhone. Yeah. You just changed the color of the case. I would I would like to, um, step one, I agree with 99.5% of that. Hell yeah, it's a massive so problem. Okay. Yeah, no, I want to I address that. Like, this is always the thing. I, it's There's that theory. It's something Eugene Berger used to talk about was the the 
the positive way and the negative way to create a thing. And if you take sculpture, positive way or additive or subtractive is uh-huh. better because it doesn't have a value judgment. You can either get a bunch of clay and build up the sculpture or you, you get a big block and chisel away what's not the sculpture. Yeah. And either way, you get a kick-ass sculpture and right. both are good depending on the task. And I've noticed that I tend to create subtractively. Most of the stuff I've come up with has begun with me going, how do I eliminate what I fucking hate about this thing? Right. Uh, and once I've eliminated everything I hate about it, I'm left with something that's really good. Which mm. is funny is that I tend to, and I, this might just be like an intelligence thing or like my yeah. IQ in magic, and, the, and mm. uh, is, is I have an inability to be able to do, like my whole life, if I see an effect, even growing up as I was mm. like learning magic and studying magic and buying all these effects or DVDs or, or, or gimmick products, my dad was always the one constantly pushing me. He's like, mm. also, like, learn what the learn what that gimmick is doing mm. and then apply it to something else. You don't need yeah. to do this card trick the way it's marketed on this yeah. website. Um, and I've never... <laughs> and you were like, shut up. I'm uh, doing it the way it's written. Right. It's like, and I've just never had <laughs> Can the ability... Can I get an audio track that lets me do this card trick? To do, like, you know, uh, I've never... Like that torn referred silk we were just talking about oh, earlier. Yeah. You know, I was never able to be like, okay, how can I take away from this? It was... I I won't touch this until I have something I can add to it. And then yeah. it's a little bit more original to me. There are a lot of ways that the, the same change could be made from a subtractive versus additive view. You could go, you know, man, I want to make, it, it, it would be great if this trick were more deceptive to the people on the left angle. Or you could go, it sucks that this trick is undeceptive to the left angle. Let's remove that flaw. You can often view it the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and sure. I don't just do it subtractively. Sure. But it's about like, for me, it's about 80% subtractive. 20% of the time it's like, man, wouldn't right. it be cool if? All that to say is that I really admire and I find it interesting when I see performers who have made lots of great content and great careers out of like yeah. taking a thing that exists and taking removing the things they dislike, yeah. which is a skill that I just don't yeah. find myself very uh, competent in. Yeah, it, I've, it can grow. We'll talk, we'll talk sure. about that. I'm talking about ways to stimulate that. Uh, the other thing I was going to say was did we, you were talking about the, the initial topic of like serious magicians are at the sort of right. top. Is, is this a... Is it something you want to have changed? Not necessarily. I just, it's, you know, I, I don't even know that I have a developed, like, final point it, it to feel, what that is. I, I felt just, that, I mean, what it, what I felt like you were saying, whether I'm right or whether maybe you were thinking this, what it's made me think about it is, like, one definite takeaway is if you do want to attempt to climb to mm. some kind of A tier or even good B tier, in by your tiering mm-hmm. definition from earlier that keeps you nice and nice and close to the other tiers. I said uh, D. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> if you're grading, if you're grading a test, it goes down to F. I don't. <laughs> Wait, who did you put in B? You put like like Justin Willman. Okay. Uh, you know, but C yeah. might be like David yeah, Williamson. I think, I think I, a real, and this is this is kind of what <laughs> so I would say. C tier would be the famous people in our industry that nobody else would know. David yeah. Regals, David Williamson. I yeah. suppose. But know, yeah, and, and it's, it's actually really man. interesting because, like, I, I personally have zero desire to to be a tier mm-hmm. by that definition. I would I would prefer not to be. Like, sure. I don't want that kind of hassle that comes with that kind of fame. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there are lots of obvious benefits. I would just, oh god, no, just no, keep me out. But like, some maybe like high C, low B tier would be good. Just because I, I just want financial independence, great, right? Great fruit. So yeah. that's my dream. I want to be doing good stuff. I'm proud of. That people are enjoying and appreciating and have financial independence. Right. That's my Derek life. Derek Delgado, I would put yeah, in that high that seat, Hell like, yeah. Like a Derek type place in terms of critical and commercial success, hell yeah. That's right. the dream. But um, what tier are you putting Derek Delgado in? I guess uh, that'd be a B, a B, a B, 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 B right? Yeah. Given yeah. this fake yeah. thing I made up yeah. 20 minutes well, ago. Well, there, there was yeah. this flawless system. Um, the Accardo tier system. The Accardo tier system. This will be my legacy. Do you feel it seems like you have less of a connection to wanting to be. Held in super high regard by other magicians. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't mind it, but it's not a goal at all. Uh-huh. It's, what's, what's, it's I, not something that because the thing that's it, I, not well, a common trait. I would. 
Yeah. Say. Yeah. Well, what's well, interesting is I can't speak for everybody, but mm. I realized like why I was trying to figure out why that was so important to me mm. in a way that like it just wasn't for you. And I think I realized was that for someone of my, you came to magic as an adult. Mm, um, yeah. I came to magic when I was fifteen, yeah, uh, or fourteen rather. And so all of my experience is you know the Magic Castle or Magic conventions. I go mm. to IBM or SAM, and to me then that's I'm not going on cruise ships. I'm yeah. not going to trade shows. When I'm seeing a career in Magic, I'm seeing the Michael Amars yeah. who are doing the circuit. I'm seeing the David Ross and the people that are putting out DVDs and like that is to me like oh that's what a career in magic mm. is it is is hitting a, a status whereby then you can teach or shoot I came up yeah. you know under a shoot who is is uh, a lot of his career is you know um, is lecture tours yeah. and 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 winning the acclaim and mm. admiration and respect uh, well, of other is, magicians this is where and th- this actually ties a bunch let's tie a bunch of threads together because mm. yeah, I'm also admiring how Chris is keeping track of threads yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad someone's doing it here the so the thing with the subtractive way was when I was going to critique like one percent of what you said earlier oh, yeah, about please. the like the problem big cover bands pretty to be the Beatles. The one percent and this is because that's I mean, the way it, my brain earlier you said ninety nine point five percent, but now we're one percent. Oh, sure. It's going so, up, but that's fine. They, I was so like being doubled. excessively specific, <laughs> like fake specificity. Uh it was the I I've been thinking a lot recently, we talked about this a bit yesterday, about about collective pronouns and how I think they're really mm. misused in all areas of society. Because right. what the Harrison Greenbaum Goddamn legend. Awesome yeah, guy, absolutely. great performer, big fan, hell yeah, Harrison. I would take issue with the – I don't know if that was a direct exact quote. Yeah, but it is. I mean, he might – Yeah, well, the different. thing I noticed about the quote was he said, you know, that like what magicians do is blah, blah, blah. And here's the thing. The, the collective pronoun magicians is a lot like the collective pronoun men or women or Americans or Australians. It's not useful because it's not a real thing. There is no such thing as quote unquote magicians because mm. that is a grouping that is too diverse to keep under one group. Because under a, a useful phrase would be shitty generic magicians. Mm-hmm. Now you can make statements that are that are useful or cool interesting magicians. Mm-hmm. But magicians, there's no useful statement I think you can make about that grouping because it's too diverse. It includes the worst, of the worst, and the best, of the best, and everything in between. And I don't think there's anything useful you can say about that entire group. And so, and same with women or men, or any demographic, any demographic grouping, I think you should always, nearly always, probably always, it's a theory, mm-hmm. always add at least one adjective to yeah. any kind of collective noun mm-hmm. to at least get some specificity because so much damage, I think, gets done in the world, in society by people go. This is where, this is my theory on like hashtag not all men, right? Which, you know, the dumpster fire that was that. I think it came from a simple linguistic misunderstanding. The little women were going, ah. Oh, Men are garbage. And what they meant was shitty men are garbage. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think they all knew that and didn't feel the need. That was a shorthand. That's what they meant, I think. This is my theory. But then decent enough, okay men heard that and were like, they're attacking me personally. I'm not garbage. What the fuck? And then it turned into this garbage dumpster fire. I also think it's what happens when something moves from a smaller context yeah. where all the women understand yeah, where there was that a nuance. clear context. Exactly. It gets moved out of that context. Yeah. And it's where, uh, interestingly, yesterday I went to brunch and uh, a white couple uh, stepped in front of me to put their name on the list for the next table very casually. And then I, I posted it on my Facebook and I said, I find it fascinating how elegantly, uh, and I put affluent white couples. Nice. Step in front of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice. And I was Again, like, I need to put this little thing on it. Yeah, so. 100%. Yeah, so you yeah. don't get some this absolutely is, raged and this is, comment. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah. And I think yeah. that's a really good point you made about the this, I think you're probably right, this often happens when something moves into a larger context from its original. And that's why whenever I, I speak or write or anything in a public forum, I'm always, 
and this is sort of why I'm very conscious about not playing to the magicians in the room and on the podcast, on my blog, I try to write for on the assumption that someone reading it will have no idea. I, I, I try to assume no knowledge mm-hmm. in what I write and no context. So I try to explain everything from as close as possible to the ground up on the assumption that someone who doesn't know who I am, doesn't know about any of the stuff I'm writing about, will find it and go, "What? what is this? Mm-hmm. I write for that person. And I think in life generally as human beings sharing this planet together, it behooves us all to speak and communicate that way. Hence probably adds some adjectives, like be more specific in what we're saying. Because mm-hmm. I think there's almost no useful phrase that can be said about men, quote unquote, or magicians, quote unquote, or Asian people, whatever it is, like whatever the demographic is. Well, Asian people rule. Yeah. I'm but so I think like, that. and so to, I would, I would like uh, the 1% thing earlier was like, I would modify that quote to go, most magicians mm-hmm. or basic shitty magicians right. are playing a cover band but training to be the Beatles. Yeah. That's now a useful, accurate phrase that I wholeheartedly get behind and go, yeah, it's a massive problem. It's an endemic issue. But I think there's this danger in kind of making what can be interpreted as an absolute statement right. about an entire demographic that's intrinsically not true. Yeah. Most people can see the nuance in that. A lot of people can't, and yeah. I've sometimes struggled with that myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's the other question of – uh, are there some artists who are comfortable creating things for, um, like, comfortable leaving people behind? Yeah, being like, you know, I I write, I create things for people that know what I'm talking about, mm. that know, understand the dialogue of what's happened in my work, and if you're coming to it fresh with no knowledge, you catch up or don't. Yeah, like that's just a different. Well, like, I also I also think about a lot of about about eh, excuse eh. I also think a lot about bell curves because mm-hmm. that's, again, everything in life is on some level of scale on a bell curve. And and when you were talking about that, everything anyone has ever created has left someone behind. Yeah. That's always going to happen. Yeah. And you can decide. Do you, Except no child left behind. That got you, like, Yeah, that left no one behind. <laughs> that worked out fine. I heard about that. The uh, And you can decide whether – how much do you care about that? Are you yeah. willing to leave 1% of people behind? It's a useful question to ask yourself. Yeah, or yeah. are you willing to leave behind 99% of people? Yeah. There's nothing wrong as long as you're making a choice. And I, this is with magic I think a lot about, say, take only one narrow element of magic. Does it astonish people? Mm-hmm. Are people baffled by it? I don't like the word fooled for a bunch of reasons, but are they amazed? Do they experience astonishment? There is no trick that astonishes 100% of the people that see it, ever. Mm. There's no such thing. A really strong trick amazes like 99.9% of people. They're baffled. 0.1% go, oh, I think it was this. A really weak trick will still amaze the dumbest 10% of people in the room. <laughs> Man, those paper clips just linked off that dollar bill. And then, But then lots of things you can do to shift that bell curve, it, ratchet it higher and higher uh-huh. as you can. And like tiny details that you might say, oh, it doesn't matter, it still fools people. Well, yeah, but would it? Would that bell curve be a bit more skewed to the right if you did make that little change? Mm-hmm. That was, always, and yeah. I've talked about that on the uh, podcast a couple of times after Edinburgh and, and, and sort of um, as I was leaving there, is I had a similar yeah. sort of thought process about that Sands of the Desert yeah. trick. Like, oh, I, I kind of went into it going like, is this a good trick or is it a, or do magicians just keep doing it because see other magicians doing it? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a stage piece that doesn't need to volunteer to come up on stage. Yeah. You know, and then I kind of left Scotland going like, I just don't think this is a good trick. Yeah. And I think it, uh, uh, because I, I just think the bell curve is too far to the, to yeah. the left, as it were. And, it, you know, it's not a, necessarily a, a, a bad trick, yeah. you know, but it like, I think enough people just kind of can get it. Um, you know, because too many of those props are marketed yeah. well, as... Because they literally can get yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and again, it depends on your personal sub- creative and commercial goals. Right. Like and if it, a lot of tricks out there solidly amaze about 70% of the people in the room. 
And you have to decide, is that high enough for you? For me, hell no, not nearly high enough. I would right. think it's also a personal calculation because a lot yeah. of people just thought it was pretty too. Yeah. Right. Like I, there were yeah. people in your audiences that were just like, no, that's pretty. Like the, their need to debunk it or whatever right. wasn't very high because they were yeah. just like, I'm just enjoying watching and again, it. And for that month, the, the, what I put around the effect and kind of what that was was a more important to me yeah, than the yeah. actual trick. So for, for for that month for that purposes, I was okay with seventy percent because it was more of a vehicle for yeah. the like the emotional climax of the show. Well, yeah. that's and that's exactly why. Again, I, I always I try to always I'm challenging myself to be really specific in my language because mm-hmm. I think it's important for the world. That's why I said like to take one very narrow facet of magic does it amaze people? Yeah, because yeah. you're right. That's a long way from the only thing that matters about a magic performance yeah. and a trick. Sometimes it might be worth compromising on the amazement factor to get a good visual aesthetic factor, yeah. or to get a good comedy factor, or a, or to communicate a point, or all these other things yeah. that make up what makes a show worth watching subjectively to any individual hmm. on the bell curve. Simon, do you want to talk about <laughs> magic puzzles? <laughs> oh, right. I do, yeah. God, we're at 53 minutes. Yeah, yeah, we, can wrap, we can wrap it uh, up. And I'm going to the time. I was just let's pointing just, out to this dude that it's glitching and it's weirding let's, me out. Let's do, oh. let's do nine episodes, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's just go. Well, uh, the three magicians, three mics. Yeah, you, the, you said you could vaguely talk about something. Yeah, the, um, I am currently in the, in, the, in the final stages. It's so close to being out there in the world. It's, it's exciting. And uh, the most exciting thing I've worked on for a long time, uh, I, am, I am a co-founder of the Magic Puzzle Company. This is still sort of coming to a big Kickstarter near you in probably about a month. Uh, cool. We're nearly there. We have, we've built prototypes. They're in the world. They're being tested right now. Uh, if you are a big fan of jigsaw puzzles, uh, hit me up. Mm. Things by Simon on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the internet, whatever. Um, and basically, the, the short version is, I can't say the details now, but basically jigsaw puzzles, because they're fun. A lot of people do them. Massive industry. Uh, that are better than normal ones in a bunch of ways. The biggest one being they, they also do something magical. Cool. Which I can't give away without being a spoiler for someone who actually does the puzzle. But they're really cool. I've been working on this with the three other people on the project for about eight months now. It's, it, I'm really excited by it. We've worked really hard on it. It's really cool. Very, I'm a massive critique critic of my own work. This is fucking cool. Oh, cool. Uh, so if you're into jigsaw puzzles, uh, the magic puzzle, uh, magicpuzzlecompany.com. Right now, it's just sign up for a notification list. We'll never mm-hmm. spam you, but we'll let you know when it's available. And I assume this website will work on all devices. It is so at- <laughs> responsive. Oh, man. It will load on a microwave. <laughs> uh, John, this is coming out the Monday after Thanksgiving. Do you have okay. any gigs you want to plug? Uh, yeah, this is coming out the Monday after Thanksgiving, then it's December. Um, then I, I will uh, be at the, um, if there are any tickets left, because um, I know it's almost sold out, I'll be at the Astonishing Show show, which is happening at Rockwell Table and Stage on December Sunday, December 8th. That's um, Ben Schrader and Robert Ramirez are producing that. And that oh, is a, cool. a combination of um, magicians and Jim Henson puppeteers who are doing Crank Yankers, Dark Crystal, Avenue Q, etc. Um, and the magicians on that incredible lineup of magicians um myself excluded it's uh, me um nick paul jonathan levitt N- nicholas knight and tina leonard mm. are the all the magicians Damn. on that um and then a uh, a variety of of like the most successful and talented uh, puppeteers in los angeles kind of going crap. back and forth that's gonna be a one night only cool. thing on december 8th december 9th to the 15th i'll be at the magic castle um and i think uh, i uh at, at the moment that's all i it's all that's all i have uh, I will. I just got bullshit around. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, uh, for anybody can go back right now on Hulu or, or any other sort of streaming site. Like, sure, go see uh, Superstore. You can go watch uh, this season of Superstore. You've had a lot of good episodes. Episode a lot of good eight, eight, eight and nine. Two, eight, eight and nine. Yep. Um, and everyone so should far. watch Parasite, right? Yes, oh, everyone should go watch Parasite. Parasite. Yeah, just yeah. plug and plug. Nothing to do with any of us, but yeah. it's yeah, just man. good, apparently. <laughs> I, I will do that. 
Uh, Simon, thanks so much for being here. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, I love you guys. This is good. It's been a great eight days. Oh We've been in the garage. <laughs> We've been camping out here. Um, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Original to me. And I mean, and there are a lot of ways that you can. Wait, let's hold for one. Yeah, this yeah. probably won't. This, this is. Yeah. This is going to come. This through. is a dumpster being moved. This is the the robot apocalypse. Which is weird. It never sounds like this until today. This sounds like my act. <laughs> the um, but the dumpster being replaced in the parking lot in the back. Yeah, the and there are a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't script this, that better. This will be bonus, you, bonus you, audio. You, you, you couldn't have directed that. Bonus better. audio at the end. Perfect comedic timing. <laughs>